All right. Hi, everybody. It's Charlie Peck, and this is Thriving School Community. And listen, we're always talking about improving mental health, and that shows up in so many different ways. And today we have Lindsay Lyons, and she's going to give us so much perspective and probably unsettle some of our thinking a little bit because we need that. We always need to challenge how we're thinking and showing up for each other. So Lindsay, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Charlie, for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, oh my goodness. Okay. Tell people what your perspective is. Cause listen, there's a lot that we're going to talk about. Like I know you do educational justice. So tell us where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a white cisgender woman. So I think that's important to name. I am currently in Massachusetts, which is the land and the area I'm in, in the land of the Massachusetts and and the Pawtucket. So I like to do a land acknowledgement of just where I'm even situated. Love it. And educational justice, I think is just like this, this phrase that is so inclusive. I think about it from, I, I came into this work actually through feminist and intersectional feminist studies. And so we talk about things like reproductive justice, which are so much more than some of the things that we talk about initially when we get into conversations about gender studies and women's rights. And I think educational justice the same way can be connected to so many things. So I often use a lens of like discussion and inquiry around um, inclusion and how do we uphold dignity and conversations about justice and current events and this kind of thing. But it's also connected to like, what's the busing system and where are the bus stops like are where are they located? And, you know, did kids get food this morning? And, you know, there's so many interconnected things that I like to think a lot about the structures that enable us to do our work or sometimes disable us to do our work. Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I know that you use a lot of language around justice. Why yeah. is that so important to talk about when we're talking about education? Yeah, I think there is a lot of language around like the achievement gap and and things like that. And, and, I, I personally was part of not Teach for America, but something similar. Teach for America is just usually like the thing that people know. Um, but New York City Teaching Fellows is how I actually got my credential. And so it was like a really fast program. I did not go to school for education initially. And so it was just kind of throwing me in the classroom. And they were like, we're closing the achievement gap. And that was like their big thing. And I learned so much about like that this achievement gap language and the language of, of a lot of that really places the blame or like the responsibility to get better on the students versus all the structures that have really not allowed students to succeed. And so I think through the lens of like um, racial justice, primarily gender justice, primarily um, or secondarily, maybe um, I think the intersection of those two things, I think a lot about specifically like trans transgender identity now and the amount of at least in Massachusetts, a recent survey was like of our K-12 kiddos, I think. 25% identified as LGBTQIA. So it's like a really large percentage of our students who are in schools right now that are also grappling with that. And, and I think about all of those pieces of identity, in addition to my background being um, teaching students with disabilities and students with IEPs is a phrase I like to use more often. And, and also students who are new to the country, new to the language. And so multilingual learners as well. Um, and possibly having like legal migration status, possibly not. And like, how do you navigate that? So there's like this intersection of all the pieces of our identity. And often what we see in our curriculum and our school policies are, are policies and information and histories and stories and authors that really prioritize maybe like 6% of the population that hold, you know, the white male heterosexual rich identities. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot there. And I know that you do mention that about how that kind of like takes a toll on yeah. our policy, culture, curriculum. Can you speak to that a little bit when you're speaking to educational leaders? How do you have that conversation with them? Yeah, it is an uncomfortable one usually. And I think I bet. 
that's part of it, right? Is like leaning into that discomfort and making sure that we know that leadership and teaching and learning more broadly is uncomfortable. That's usually where we're learning the most. And I, I tap into a lot of adaptive leadership. So thinking about um, Heifetz, Grashow, and Linsky are these adaptive leadership scholars, and they talk a lot about the underlying beliefs, habits, and loyalties that we hold that are underlying longstanding challenges, what they call adaptive challenges. And so often what we do and, and what I talk to leaders about is like we treat problems or not even problems, but situations, mm-hmm. right, as like a technical challenge. And we'll just do a PD day and it'll be all gone. Like we'll just <laughs> DEI PD check, That's you right. know, check it off. Yep. <laughs> Or mental mental wellness, right? Like, oh, we'll just we'll just do this PD day, or we'll just give one day off, and it's solved, right? And so I think that's the way we've been treating a lot of our educational injustices, and it can't be treated that way. And so adaptive leadership says you have to get at the deep underlying thing. And so sometimes that's sitting in a meeting and just taking stock or inviting others to take stock of like, what's being unsaid here? Like, what's the thing where everyone's like heart is pounding, their palms are sweating. Like we all know something's going on, but we're not surfacing it. We're hiding it. We're keeping it silent. And so we're never going to address it. And like, I think for me, one of my avenues in is how do we bring students and often families who are able to come in? into those meetings, into those conversations. And that disrupts some of that like silencing because the students will just say it or the families will just say it. Yes. Or do. something that is said that a teacher says, you know, they're like, ooh, if a student's there now, I'm thinking twice about maybe saying that initial thing that I might've said in a staff only meeting. And it really changes up the dynamic. So I think that's a really good interrupter. Oh my gosh. It's a huge interrupter. And you're right. When we are uncomfortable, we're learning. I love that you said that, Lindsay. It's so important. And so like- All right. So when I worked with kids who were in total crisis, I mean, you want to talk about suicide. You want to talk about self-harm. You want to talk about homicide. Like there are some, a lot of, there were a lot of things going on with these kids in the hospital when I worked with them in crisis. And there were so many kids who, well, they're all going through identity, right? They're all learning. We all did that when we were teenagers. And then we have this, this, when you do, when you do have more um, question about who you are and what you do. Of course, there's an insecurity underlying that, right? And so then when you enter a society that is very closed-minded or culture, a a culture within that society, right? Or conversation or your home where there's so closed-mindedness, it, it really is crippling to them. And that's the, the, those are the things we were seeing. And I can't tell you how many parents had said, or caregivers or even foster parents had said, when we are doing a family session, because I was doing therapy with them, trying to get them to trans like transition back to their home after being in this crisis. They had said, like the parent would say, well, I don't care what they identify as. He was born with a penis or a boy. And that's what I'm going to refer him to as, 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 right? So, I mean, there were often times I needed to say, okay, we need some outreach outside of what I'm going to talk with you about and giving this, you know, the voice to your child here. So then there's people who work with schools because they're going back to schools. So here's what I'm premising this with, Lindsay, is now these kids go back to school. They're already struggling. They're struggling. A lot of them in silence. They didn't even get to come to the hospital to deal with this, right? Struggling in silence. Then they go back to the schools. How would a school work with you to to help that transition period for all kinds of different um, kids going back into the school system. Does that make sense the way I'm asking that? 
Yes, it totally makes sense. And so I'm going to kind of, there's so much, okay, so there much is here. so much. And I, I'm going to kind of go back for my answer to a previous question that you asked about like, why, why justice? And so, um, in our entrepreneur masterminds, uh, I don't know, a few weeks back, maybe a couple months ago, our leader, Jeff had asked us to think about what's your deep, why? And mine is, I don't want any child to feel a lack of belonging so deep that they want to end their lives or um, that they feel such a lack of belonging community that they would want to take the lives of others. And I was just listening to a podcast yesterday that really was, it just kind of reframed for me. Um, Like I knew that most like mass shooters are white males, but I didn't think about that as like, there's such a lack of sense of belonging for white males. And this podcast guest was talking about it's not just BIPOC students that we often are like, we need to help them. We need to help them. Right. And, and so much of what I do is like, we are benefiting everyone by teaching more and creating this environment of inclusivity, diverse stories, like diverse authors, um, like in a true deep dive. And so I think my answer to your question is that that's where that comes from. And then, and then how I would actually talk to people about it would be, we should never get to that place in the first place. So we need to do a lot of preventative work, which means curriculum should be, and this is a controversial opinion, but in my opinion, curriculum should be like more than 50%. I would say ideally like 90% centering stories of groups that have been historically marginalized and underrepresented because especially when I taught high school, those students have had eight, nine years, you know, whatever it is of education Mm. for that 6% that I was talking about, like we need to balance that. So we need to lean in the other direction. Right. And really make sure that we're getting those, those pieces included and, and centered really we're designing around those, those identities that have historically not been represented. So I'd say if you have students who are consistently seeing themselves as like, and their stories and people like them as valid and dignified and treated with the dignity that they that they deserve, then we're having less of that to begin with. And the students who are not finding themselves in that identity are now honoring and dignifying those identities as well, because it's treated as like, this is important and we are learning this and we are taking a stance as an educational community to do that. Um, and then I also would say that Two, we want to support the students coming back in. I would do some restorative work, restorative circles. Um, I think circle as a practice is just really good for community building, but also when someone leaves to come back in circles are kind of my go-to of just like, you could literally ask a couple questions and just ask every student to answer. They can opt out of course, but I mean, just something like, how are you feeling now that the student is returning? Like, you know, what, what did you feel when they were gone? And, and that kind of thing where everyone shares something that you love, share a moment that you have, have had with the student who's coming back and why you're happy to see them or something, right? Like just that 10 minutes could be just, really powerful. Yeah. And I, and I know um, we haven't addressed the part of like confidentiality and sometimes right. these kids don't want to be called out, but I, I think I can understand when, when the kid is coming back and there is a transition plan, it's like, how do we create community so that it's sustainable long-term of, of recognizing our place in space, right. And with each other in the, in the classroom or that whatever context that is. So yeah. I appreciate that so much. And there's a lot a lot we could just go back and dissect here. So I'm trying to be choosy. And, and one of the things I was saying is like, it's hard for me to to reach in there and just identify one group that I saw kids having a problem with because there are so many marginalized groups. And if we're talking in education, it's okay to call those things out, but it is 
It is very disruptive and because it's so political. So what is your goal? Let me just ask what your goal is when you are working with schools. Yeah, I think I want every student to be able to feel as if and act as if they are a leader. And so my, often we, we use the term student voice. I think that's like very used a lot in, in various ways that are often service level now, but my like whole dissertation was around defining and measuring student leadership specifically. And so I define that in a way that's like, yes, the student actions, but also the structures of the school supporting those actions and for adults in the school to be working in partnership with students. And so I see that as students co-constructing the curriculum. This is students as um, co-constructing the policy and being on like the leadership committees, the curriculum teams, the restorative justice team and committee. Um, I've trained students to be like peer mediators and circle facilitators and and things like that. I, I think that is kind of like a a means to an end. I think the ultimate end is that all students feel that sense of belonging and that they are change agents when they see a problem in the world, because there are so many problems in the world and students will be the first to tell us what they are and what they care about, that they feel like they can do something about it. And so we study, you know, movements and we study coalition building and we study things like this in whatever we're teaching. Social studies is usually the vehicle that I love because I was a social studies and literacy teacher, but I think this is relevant for any, anything we're talking about environmental justice and science. We're talking about, um, you know, the math connections, the art connections to, uh, you know, gerrymandering and geometry. Like there's so many opportunities for these connections of justice in what they're learning. And I think often we think about things like student leadership as this extracurricular. What I would challenge schools and districts to think about is how do we embed it into the fabric of what we do, which is teaching and learning, which is the curriculum, because not every student can stay after school and do this additional thing. They might have a job that they have to go to. They mm-hmm. might not be able to be picked up if they stay past the busing hours. So I think, again, thinking about all those systems and structures, let's do it in the classrooms. Let's do the thing that we want to do and let's enable students to be leaders there. Okay. So are you working? Cause there's a lot I think you could do with this. So I'm curious yeah. about what your like delivery plan is. So let's pretend yeah. for a minute, I'm a superintendent or a district leader. And I'm, am I, are you targeting like curriculum design? Are you, uh, tell me more about like what service you would actually provide. Cause this is really intriguing for equity yeah. and engine, right? And in, initiatives. So- yeah. Yeah, I would I would start with like a foundational pedagogy if it's not in place to try to amplify student voice. So um, authors Shane Safir and Jamila Dugan in their book Street Data, which is amazing. It's one of my favorite books. Um, they talk about a pedagogy of student voice and they say one of the look fors is really like at a bare minimum, um, like 75 percent of the time of, of like a class period that students are talking or I would argue like students are creating or grappling. They don't have to be necessarily speaking with their mouths, but doing something where the teacher is not like, you know, talking at the class kind of thing. And that alone is a huge shift, right? That alone is like, okay, so the students are doing something valuable. They are leaders of their own learning, that kind of thing. So kind of that base level of like, can we just let the students lead the discussion? Can we let the students come up with the inquiry questions? Can we let the students inquiry questions, not just stay on a poster at the front of the room, but actually like inform the next three lessons where they get to go down that rabbit hole of that thing they were interested in and do a project on it and research it more. I think that kind of thing is terrifying to teachers. So I would really start like building that base of like, if that is scary, that totally makes sense. That's how we were taught was like control the class and like reduce behavior incidents. But like, how do we test it out in a way that makes it feel manageable and actually really exciting? Cause that's when I learned the most from my students. 
And so from that base, really diving into like different protocols, what are, I like to think of a unit arc. So like, what are the like initial lessons of a unit that really hooks students in? Where's the opportunities for students to tell us what they're interested in? And then how do we co-create the curriculum? And so I usually have a framework for for teachers and departments specifically to think about how do we co-create? Because co-creating is really hard if you have no concept of how it's done and no plan in place moving forward, right? Um, Right. So that's where I would start. And then I would think about, you know, the, the how we make policies, the governance structure. That's what my dissertation was all about. So thinking about like, how do we actually create the, these opportunities for all students to co-create policy at the school level? Oh my gosh, you have a lot you can do with that. And so, oh my gosh, I just thought of all the different, like clubs, classroom, district level, so many different events. Wow, that's really exciting. Oh my gosh, Lindsay. Yeah, one of the best trainings I ever got was in critical thinking. And at first I thought it was going to be super boring. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got four full days of this. With it, it was the best, not the best, but it was one of definitely my top trainings. And it did that. What it had, it had us create an overarching question. It had us create focus, right? Sessions, focus lessons. And then underneath, how are kids going to get to this? And it is very student-centered and it allows you to step back. And then some of the other trainings that I got, I got time, I always took advantage of it. I was like, I want to know how to do this stuff. And then what it did is helps you feel confident in pulling back. And, yes. and it's not so scary. And that does start with leadership because they have to allow the space and give you permission to do that with kids, right? Yeah. Okay. Because that that's where the kids love that. They love the deep dives when they had all of that going on for them. So how do you get teachers who are stuck in traditional teaching to mm-hmm. shift? Yeah, I think it's all about painting the possibilities. So, I mean, I I am actually preparing right now in in a couple of weeks to go and do a two day boot camp, which is usually curriculum boot camp is like my bread and butter thing that I do. So we take two days and and to speak to your point, like the administration has to give two full days. Like that is the commitment that I ask from them where teachers are not expected to teach classes. They get subs for them. They're here for two full days where they can just dream up curriculum. And we do a whole unit in two days. And so, wow. so the, yeah. wait, they get something tangible to walk away with that they get to now deliver in their, yeah. Oh my goodness. And they can do that in two days with you. Two days. Yep. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. That's <laughs> awesome. I would love that. Yes. Yeah. And so, and, and so that's kind of like, that's, that's the, the, what am I looking for? The container with which like we kind of sure. go into these conversations. Um, and I, and I think I, I want to make sure I'm answering your question too. What was the question? I don't even remember the darn question. Here's what I, you know why? Because I'm excited. I'm just excited about what you're doing. So I guess my rhetorical question is you get to do that and they get to walk away with it. How do you do that? So answer that however you want. Cause it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So basically we start with, and I can kind of take you through the process. I'll also say that my podcast, I've been experimenting and this will be out, I think probably by the time this episode drops, but this summer, we're going to do a whole host of episodes where we experiment with one teacher who comes on and we just do the whole process in 30 minutes, like a kind of a brief level. Yeah. So you can kind of see where that is, but mostly I think about like, what is a, what I used to call a driving question. I'm now thinking about a project question that is like the overarching question of the unit. And then from there, like, what is the project that is like a civic action project? It's like a student led kind of, I always call it like an activist project, but given the climate of things, you have to think about what you call it in certain schools, but um, like think about an issue in the world, connect it to all the standards and things, whatever you teach, enable students to take the path um, that they're going to go down for whatever issue they choose or whatever subtopic they choose of what you're studying and actually come out the other side with like, 
this is like a policy I'm going to suggest to our school board, or this is a letter I'm going to write to our local legislator in our city council, or this is an informational campaign I'm going to run about this issue in my local community or something. So I think about the project, the the question, the project, and then we do, which I think this is like something I learned from a coach I had. And this is the thing I've gotten one of the most positive groups of feedback on is this idea of a unit arc. So I usually say like, hook lesson. What's the hook? What are we bringing students into? Usually it's a current event in, in my suggestion um, to, to schools. And then from there, we build the base one week, usually like three to five lessons. on like, what is the core thing? If you had one thing you want to teach one text, one idea, one concept, like let's dive into that text again and again and again for mm-hmm. a week. Yes. And then we do what's called case studies. And those are my favorite. Cause that's where you co-create. So you kind of plan the hook uh, it's usually discussion-based. So I usually plan like, okay, here's a news clip or a video clip. And here's like one question I'm going to surface to students and then they take it away. Right. And then you're just kind of like synthesizing their answers or kind of like asking follow-up questions. They make a list of questions they want to explore kind of thing. And then you have the build the base prepared. You have maybe a couple case studies in mind. So like, here's the big topic. Here's a subtopic. Here's how like women experience this. Here's how black women specifically experience this. Here's how, um, native women experience this or, you know, whatever. And then the students kind of fill in the rest of the cases so they could take on like a mini inquiry project for a week and then like share out. We could do a gallery walk of student, you know, reported things. And then we just have project time. So I help people think about like, what are the things you're actually doing with students? Like maybe there's like a, I heard it recently, the, there's a district that calls it Shark Tank. So they'll pitch their initial idea and like get feedback from their peers. Oh, um, or there's, awesome. Yeah, like different Great. protocols there. And yeah. then they present. So authentic audience. So you could do something like a science fair kind of expo or like everyone's doing presentations to the school board or what, you know, whatever it is. And then you have a reflection day, which is usually skipped, but really important. Like, what did we learn? What can we do different next unit? What does the teacher or the school need to do different for you? in terms of supporting you in the next unit. Um, and then we basically go through and, and do like what I call a GPS outline. What is the green light content? If they learn nothing else, like, you know, what is the one thing they learned for this lesson? And if they don't learn it, we can't move on. So it's a green light to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what is the protocol? One protocol, people try to cram in way too much stuff. But what is like the one thing we're doing? We're doing a gallery walk today. We're doing a circle discussion today. And then what is the one resource or text? It could be a video, a song we're analyzing, an article, whatever it is. But if you have those three things, it makes it so much more manageable. And I say that specifically because I'm thinking about like mental wellness and my own mental wellness. And I almost quit teaching after three years because I was just overwhelmed with how to plan in a way that was manageable. And so for me, it's like unit outline, we can do it in 30 minutes or two days with a whole department or, you know, whatever. And then each day boils down to like three phrases. What is the green light content? What is the protocol? And what is the one source? And if I choose to think about it like that, I'm like, ah. Oh, wow. And it's exciting. And it's right. It's all relatable, understandable. And I think that is so true. Like, so I'm in my mind, as you were explaining that, I was thinking of one of the assignments I did that was like one of the best things I'd ever done with my senior kids. These are senior level. It was a social justice class. It was amazing. Right. It was amazing. And so I remember being overwhelmed with what I needed to teach and you know, there's a lot to it, but I remember getting the curriculum out and thinking, looking at all my standards and literally deciding, okay, I'm going to cover this, 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 and this, and this, I have this left to do. How do I do this? And I was teaching them about, okay, if we have to look at this different systems in the world, 
And um, I'm going to I'm going to put out a bunch of cards. One says education. One says um, healthcare. One says the um, justice system. Whatever. And they would go in teams and pick up the cards, and they would they would then have we co-constructed criteria, all of that. Um, and then they would have to they got to go look at all areas of the world and choose three countries or two countries and compare to ours. Um, so three total that they were looking at and comparing. Okay, so. And it was actually really helpful because we spent, I don't know, three full days doing this in little pods and they could go work together and they were diving into all of it. And then they got to share and then discuss and, and have all those activities. Okay. So let's say that you've got a teacher who kind of has some of that in place. How would you then give them space and time to look at some of the things they're already doing and then implement some of your stuff in there to make it super meaningful and level up? Yeah. So that is such a good question because I'm now grappling with how to do that because I typically have been like, nope, we're ground up, like doing it from like scratch. Um, because I often think we, we have a tendency and I speak from experience here. I want to cling to what I did because it was like, this was really good and I want to still use it. And, um, it's comfortable. Scary to, yeah, yes. it's comfortable. It right? was comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I've always been like, nope, let's just create from scratch. And then when we get to the lesson level building, we can pull in lessons. But if we don't allow ourselves to kind of dream up the possible, we might actually miss something that was from that original project question. Like we, we would just skip it. Cause we'd be like, oh, we have a, a decent question from like a previous unit. So that's like how I used to do things now, actually literally this month, I'm shifting my thoughts because I'm working with Desi in the state of Massachusetts. It's our DOE to do a curriculum that exists. And I think it's good. I think it could be better. I don't like curriculum off the shelf typically, but I think there's potential there. And so what I've realized is we can take it and then we could use frameworks like Dr. Goldie Muhammad's um, Hill framework, which I love. And thinking about what I see as the three of her five pursuits, which are usually not done well or um, done to like a surface level, which is identity, criticality, and joy. Um, or like we could take, a, you know, an inquiry routine and say like, okay, so um, in this curriculum I'm working in, it has kind of like three phases. So there's like the asking the question, there's the research, and then you kind of like put it all together. So what are the protocols within that? How do we do each one of those pieces better? How do we make sure when we're asking questions that we actually elicit like really good questions from students? And then we continue it to allow them to actually do something with that and not just kind of leave the question out there. And so- Thinking about like zooming into either the Hill framework or the like three parts of the inquiry phase, for example, like what can we do if we zoom in and think about the curriculum that already exists, that we already have, that we already like, and do one of those pieces better. And so maybe it's connecting to a current event to bring in the criticality angle. Maybe it's connecting to art and the art teacher and doing an interdisciplinary project to bring more joy. Maybe it's using an identity wheel to... Uh, analyze sources or news from different perspectives that are not our own. Um, and so I think being able to have those frameworks is a really helpful way if you aren't ready to take the leap and just do from scratch to kind of think about how you might want to like, yeah, level up what you have already. Yeah. And only because I thought of that, I thought, what happens if number one, there isn't either buy-in to, to start yeah. from scratch or you know how districts are, they don't always have the two full days. Yeah. So how can you then take what people already have especially if they're proud of it and they've developed it over time, but yeah. we want your lens. We want you to come in and really help us. Level. So that's good that you, you have thought of that and that you have a plan for that. Cause that's really exciting. I think a lot of people will be excited to hear more from you after this. 
Yeah. And I actually have, like, I'm happy to share that draft. Like it's a two day agenda, but you can like mix and match it or pull different activities from it. But I'm happy to share that as a resource. If you, if we want to like link it in the show notes or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. Again, let's, let's just think for a second. I'm a district leader and I really want to make sure that I'm on point and, and pulling in educational justice pieces. And I call you and I say, okay, I want to get started. Like, what is the first thing that you would do with them? Yeah. I would really want to know what they, what they're looking for. Like what's the current landscape? What are teachers doing? What are students saying? I think that's a huge one. So a lot of times I will talk to districts and they'll say, oh, well, we got feedback from students. Like our black student union, for example, said X, Y, Z. And then I talked to the teachers and the teacher said, yeah, but, or, you know, yeah, we're doing this and we're, we're already covering that. But what I learned as a teacher is we might be doing a ton of things, but if the students aren't interpreting it or seeing it or experiencing it as like a valuable thing, then it needs to either like be scrapped and we start fresh or we do it way, way better with the input and partnership of students. So I would say, tell me what the students are saying. Tell me what the teachers are doing or you see teachers doing or what is their interest in in expanding or or kind of building on their practice. Like, And then I would actually go through, I developed kind of like a three-year sequence of like, here's where we would start if we are, we've never done any sort of student voice. We have only done teacher lectures and textbook teaching and like the kind of very traditional stuff um, and kind of go through and be like, okay, where, tell me where, <laughs> like it, what feels comfortable. Um, I think that's one piece. And the other piece is sometimes people are saying, I very specifically want to be able to have discussions. And that's, that's a huge piece that I do is like, how do we talk about whatever it is, like identity, race, gender, current events. Um, and that I think is a very specific sequence that I do think, uh, like I would recommend I can, people can do that right now on their own, um, with a little bit of forethought. And I have actually I have that too. I can share if you want, but it's like a four part or three part really series of you have three hours in a staff meeting over the course of a month, like do these three things as your staff meeting, there's like a slide deck and resources and wow. literally what it would be is the same. We used to call it one learning model for all at the school I worked at, but literally the teachers are doing the same activity that they then would do with students. But by doing it as a, as a participant in your staff meeting, you're building staff capacity to talk to each other, which is not a given at all, right? We're often more <laughs> uncomfortable to talk to adults than students. Yes. And you're now familiar with the practice. You can do it better with students versus saying, just go do this thing with students you've never done it yourself, but you'll be fine. Right. Like, which is often what we do in teachers. Right. And I can say, so you said it's like a three hours worth. So I could see a staff, like in a staff meeting, splitting that up even into 15 minute increments over the school year, 30 minutes. I think they want 30 minutes to really dive into some of the discussion. Right. Yes. And would you yes. facilitate or you provide it? Like, do they buy it or is it, or you have the structure for that? They could just piece that out at every staff meeting. That's yeah. really valuable to me. Yeah. So it's, it's totally the, the staff meeting agendas are totally free. You can, you can take them and do them on your own. Cause I think wow. for me, I just want so many people to just do this work and do the foundation building. Um, but also, yes, I could totally facilitate it for you. Um, basically the first three to give you just a very brief sense. If we have time for that, I'm not sure. Like go for it. Okay. And I, and you know, cause you've listened to some of these podcasts. I don't like, I'm not trying to turn this into a sales for anybody listening. <laughs> what I'm trying to do is I love when we have these kind of great resources and we don't know how to yeah. always roll them out. And yeah. so it's, it's so important, not only for kids, but for staff, which always benefits kids, right? Yep. So yes, please, please walk us through. Um, just tell me what that would look like for sure. 
Yeah. So the first one I would do is co-creating community values and agreements. And so I think this is huge. This is something that I always did as a teacher. And I think we need to do a staff too. We often skip the staff part. We just, we just do it with students, which is great. We should, we should also do it as a staff. And so for that one, it's, it's literally just thinking about like, what are the values that we hold? I love um, values in action. I don't know if it's.com, but I just Google values in action. It's from positive psychologists who have come together and created, I think it's like 24 values. I actually just literally put up all those values in my class. So for my multilingual learners who are like learning the English names for things, it was really helpful to just be able to say like, you know, oh, this is what I want to compliment myself in or compliment this other person. You could do so many activities with this, but literally like stand in a circle, turn to your left, say, say one value you saw this person exhibit this week or something. I mean, super simple prompt. Great idea massive value. And so I think something like that is really helpful, but literally saying like each person could go around a circle or, you know, write on a piece of paper. Um, I've learned, uh, from Lorena Erman who writes texture teaching, which is so good. Um, uh, smash it, which is like you write it on a piece of paper, crumple it up and then throw it. And then someone can like go unfold it and write it on a piece of paper. Um, But just like, what are the values that are important to you individually? And then we have to come to consensus. I usually use Vista five to literally come to consensus. What are the values we hold? And then what are the agreements in how we live out the values? I cannot tell you how many times in an adult meeting, like we have said, uh, okay, our community value is respect. Okay. So our community agreement and how we're going to discuss, we're going to use respect. Okay. What does that look like? Like, Right. Wow. (laughs) Shows up in so many different ways, doesn't it? Yes. And so I think getting clear on that as adults, is it helps us do it better with students because I think we say that it is adults and then we go to the student conversation and they pair it the same thing. And we say, okay, great respect. That's our community agreement versus I'm going to pause and take five seconds to breathe when I feel that jittering in my stomach or that sweaty palm feeling. And I'm feeling like some kind of way and I need to breathe and figure out what that way is and name the emotion or at least feel the sensation and think before I speak. And I could choose not to speak too, but I'm going to give myself five seconds. You know, like something like that is like, concrete yes. we can you know so tangible yes yeah. something they can they don't even have to go look in a book to do they can practice it right. and know how to reflexively do it yeah for sure yeah yeah over time so for sure then the next hour I would say build community and learn I I usually do um the instructional strategy of circle I've said it like a million times already on this on this show but I love it it's so good and it comes from indigenous communities right it, it is just like democratizes the classroom space. Teacher can sit, students can sit, or at the staff meeting, like the principal sits and all, all the staff. So we're on the same field. No one's like talking down at anyone. There's open space in the middle. Maybe we co-create, you know, uh, like a, um, what do we call it? Uh, centerpiece. There we go. Usually we like, I love naming, like, here's a student who's on my mind and it doesn't even have to be a student you have. It could be like my child or something, right? Like and we just write the name of a person who's on our mind and we put that on an index card and we tape it together and that's our centerpiece. And it comes out every time we do circle. I mean, just like grounding stuff. That's really Amazing. cool. Amazing. We use things like a, a koosh ball or like a talking piece. I mean, there's that tactile piece. Um, I love story of my name as like the first way to learn a circle. You just, everyone is gets the prompt. What's the story of your name? You could take that wherever you want to go with it. But I think everyone can speak to it. It requires no prior knowledge it's personal. It allows you to connect with other people. I mean, so that would be like the next, I think, thing I would do um, with staff. And then the third one, once you've done those first two, and if they haven't gone well, I would 
do them again or do a variety of them. That's the foundation. And then you can introduce, okay, as a staff, we're going to talk about this thing, whether that's a community issue, a current event, something that you've been like, eh, I don't really want to touch it. Like go for it. Um, with those things in mind, we have our shared values. We have our community agreements. We have the format of the circle. We've built some relationship and learning about each other and listening to each other. Now we can get into it. And so I think that's the piece that is often missed. It's like, we're just going to talk about the current event. Give me the slides for that. And then we don't ever talk about the foundation building that's required for us to have a sense of perceived safety. And that's going to be individual for all of the teachers who are coming in with different identities and different experiences. And, you know, so in terms of the current events, I would say, you know, what word comes to mind when you see like this new design heading, super simple, watch a video clip of the current event or something. And then literally I invite a connection. And that's, it's not like, what do you think about this? Or what should be done? It's, can you make a connection to this? I have a personal experience that connects to this. I saw this other podcast or heard this podcast about this. Um, we are reading a book in class right now with my students about this, like connection, that's it. Right. And then you reflect on the discussion itself. So what feels strongest, like as a group, we did this really well. Um, or as an individual, I did this really well. And we, here's where we need to grow. And I mean, that can literally be it. I usually do a closing of like, what opportunities now exist to go practice this kind of discourse in your community. So having everyone say like an action step, like I'm going to have a water cooler conversation about another current event next week, or I'm going to try a lesson with students, or I'm the family coordinator. I'm going to try this with like my PTA meeting. So just having kind of an action step to leave. Yeah, and that was all, a long-winded answer. No, but it is, but it, it does paint a picture of what it does is it shows not only process and procedure, it shows value because it starts with that building trust and rapport and they're not going to share anything. They're not going to open up at all unless you uh, establish trust and rapport. And what that does over time is what you're trying to establish is that that builds culture. And then that translates very well into our classrooms and ultimately benefits kids. As we know, gosh, I would love to, um, gosh, I'd love to see that play out. And there's different elements of things that I've learned over my career that I can see that you've really pulled that together very well in a simplified way that people can roll this out pretty quickly. It sounds like. Yeah. yeah. It's really about the practice, like do it as many times as you can, but it's simple. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it, Lindsay. Okay. So how do people then reach out to you so they can find out more about this? Yeah. Uh, lindsaybethlyons.com has all the things. So that's my website. I'm not on social media a lot. Uh, my podcast is also on that website. So that's time for teachership. Um, I have tutorial videos on YouTube at Lindsay Beth Lyons. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. And I will put it, of course, I will put it in here. Um, but I think it's important for them to, for people who really want to create way beyond just an equity and inclusion initiative. Like this goes well beyond that. They want to truly change and shift culture, just like what we're trying to do with mental health. It complements everything. Like we're complementing each other, right? And it's just yes. a, a unique way to do it. So I appreciate that so very much. Yeah. I don't know if I made that clear at the start, but I think there's so much mental health benefits to being able to have this kind of space for people to talk about the things that are on their mind in a way that feels generative and like you're building that capacity. Um, I can tell you personally that having spaces for this kind of conversation has just made my wellness skyrocket versus being in places where this is not welcomed conversation. Well, let's talk, let's then address that as, as kind of the, the exit plan here. Then yeah. let's just uh, talk about that. How can these conversations, cause it's, it's, I hate to just say conversations cause it's, 
it's so much more than that. And yeah. I think people get that if they're listening to this, especially this long, um, <laughs> how, how can that benefit the, the adults working with kids and then ultimately the kids? Yeah. I think sometimes we forget that teachers are people with like full lives and full, um, you know, experiences and processing of like the news, I just as an individual, right? Right now I'm not teaching a class at all, but I, but I parent and I am a person in the world and support educators. And I find myself just completely exhausted and demoralized by looking at my phone and any sort of news input at the moment. And like, I think people feel that a lot (laughs) in addition to all the other things in the world. And so I, I think one of the ways that we as educators can help process what is happening, because we can't just fully shut it off, um, is to be able to process in a community of people who are willing to hold space for one another to do that and to be committed to like a more just society. So to be able to take some sort of action as a community um, that really upholds the values that we agreed on, right, in our session zero or whatever, um, that, 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 that that is happening is really just mentally, uh, kind of a suit of armor. (laughs) I think like when we go into kind of like battle in the world, I think to be able to say, I have my community of people and that is the staff that I work with. I have that community, um, you know, with my students, I see students who are passionate about the same things I am, and they are also committed to a better world for themselves and their future kids. Like, I think there is something very buoying about that. I don't know if that's the word I want to use, but like it, it really helps you just feel like, yes, things are not great. And I am surrounded by great people, which means I want to keep showing up to be in space with those great people. And so I'm going to come back to school and I'm going to come back next year and I'm going to be committed to this profession and committed to this specific school that I'm in because we've created those conditions. I think far too often we say we want to hire more um, racially diverse people. For example, we want to hire more BIPOC folks. And we don't create the conditions where people who have been marginalized, whether racially or otherwise, come, they come into the space and they're like, we have not, there is no culture here of support and um, upholding dignity of all people. Like it doesn't exist. So I was hired. Yes. Why would I stay here though? You know, and I think that's the thing that we often miss in conversations about like DEI and hiring pipelines and things like that. Um, it's all about this culture building and it's all about creating space to be your full human self and bring in all of those concerns about the news with you. And if you don't have that, like you are going to burn out and you're, are, you are going to leave the school. Absolutely. A- absolutely. So not only does this provide relief now. It's so preventative. And anybody yeah. who knows what we're doing too, the whole thriving school community thing is it's about prevention. Like yeah. let's stop putting out those darn fires, but you're right. It's about creating that space that people want to um, come into, but to stay, to stay. Yes. Right. And that's why we're having so many problems with retention. But I will also say, I, I also notice and see a lot of people who love what they're doing because that culture is already established. And so I'm so grateful that you're doing this work. It's really important in, in these times. So thank you. Thank you, Charlie. This was such a fun conversation. Thanks for having me. I know we could, I, we could do this for five more hours. We could, <laughs> um, but we have things to do too. So, <laughs> but okay. So Lindsay and I know each other from the Teach Better group, the Edupreneur group that um, if you look up Teach Better, they have a whole conference coming up. They didn't pay me to say any of this or anything, but it's it's a group that we're a part of and we learn from each other. So if anyone wants to know about that, please check them out because I love it. I love, don't you love being a part of that? I love it. Yes. It is so yeah. nice to be in community with people who are like on the same journey as you. 
Yeah. Just talk about culture, like a culture yeah. of connectedness and support. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yes. Um, and affordable by the way, too. And yes. again, I'm not, I'm not an affiliate or anything, but I really do love it. I do. So, okay, well let's wrap this up and I'll put all of those things in the bio and the notes and all of that. And um, let's continue this conversation some other time. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And thank you everybody for being here. Uh, please like share this with somebody who you know would benefit. If you know a school who is trying to shift their culture in a very easy, but meaningful, deep way, please reach out to uh, to Lindsay at Lindsay Lyons, lindsaylyons.com or lindsay.lyons.com. lindsaybethlyons.com. Lindsay Lyons is in an incredibly popular name, surprisingly. So okay. I thought my Lindsay middle name. lindsaybethlyons.com. <laughs> Lyons is L-Y-O-N-S too, by the way. And Lindsay, L-I-N-D. S-A-Y. Sometimes yes. I change that. So, okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Lindsay. Thank you, Charlie. Okay.